Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> everyone familiar with uh, the great comedian Groucho Marx? Yeah, we know Groucho Marx. A couple of you do. So <laughs> there's uh, an episode of one of the t- television shows, and he's on a date with uh, a woman, and he's just going on and on and on about himself. He's just going on and on and on about how great he is. And then finally he stops rambling, and he says, Well, enough about me. What about you? What do you think of me? This funny little vignette actually tells us a a lot about the human condition. We are very much me-centered and me-absorbed. In fact, from the time we rise up in the morning from bed to the time we go back to bed at night, most of our thoughts and actions revolve around us. What do I need to accomplish today? What should I eat today? Is there going to be enough coffee in the pot when I get out to the kitchen? Uh, Should I stop for a bagel on the way to work? Even when we reflect on our lives, as Christians, we find ourselves in this me-centered trap. What should I pray about? What did I pray for long enough? How can I please God today? How can I find God in the details of my life? Now, there's not anything specifically wrong with these questions, but if we don't place them in the bigger picture of what God is doing what God is up to in our day, in our lives, then we'll find ourselves burdened with the feeling that it all depends on and revolves around us. It's a weight too difficult for anyone to bear. Have you ever had the feeling of the end of the day, like, I just have not accomplished anything today, or I just have not done enough for God and for others today? It's for this reason that we need the occasional reminder of who is actually in control in this life, of who takes initiative in our lives and makes us able to do what he calls us to do. Our gospel reading from John 1 today is actually such a beautiful um, example of this. It lays this out for us, the God who takes initiative and the God who calls and the God who empowers. What I want to do today is just walk through this passage. We're just really going to take it verse by verse, and I'm just going to say a few things about it. So it would be a great um, opportunity to just follow along in your bulletin, or if you have a Bible with you, it's John uh, chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. Let's just begin right at the start. John tells us the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Now, we can stop right there. There's already something to say. Before anything happens, John tells us Jesus has decided to do something. Jesus has made it up in his mind to go where he is going to go and do what he is going to do. What does this tell us? God is taking the initiative. God takes the initiative, friends, from the very beginning, immediately after humanity fell into rebellion and sin against God. The first thing that God does is takes the initiative to go after them. He says to Adam, where are you? God pursues humanity. God is pursuing lost humanity in Jesus. Now, Jesus finds Philip and he says to Philip, follow me. No uh, no uh, sentimental introductions there or, hey, how's your day going? It's just follow me, right? He speaks with authority. Now, note this. Jesus found Philip. Philip didn't find Jesus. He kind of thinks he did because he goes to Nathaniel and says, we found him in a minute, but he's a little confused. But Jesus found Philip. And shortly after, Jesus will say to all of his disciples in the Gospel of John, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I came out. And found you and called you to myself. Friends, Jesus found you. And if he hasn't yet, he's looking 
for you. There's a great verse in the Old Testament that says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the entire earth to strengthen those whose heart is true to him. You see, God is looking for those who will turn towards him. Follow me, Jesus said. You see, aside from questions about uh, baptism and the necessity of the content of faith that we are to believe, this is where salvation begins. Follow me in answering that call, right? It's that simple. It's saying, yes, Jesus, I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to respond to your initiative coming after me and I'm going to follow, even though I don't have that all figured out just yet. Now, Philip goes and he finds Nathaniel and he says to him, uh, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. You see, reading and studying the Old Testament, that was Philip's Bible, the Old Testament. Reading and studying the Old Testament gives us a fuller understanding of Jesus because everything therein points to the need for Jesus. He is the fulfillment, not the replacement. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament, not the replacement. Um, In Luke chapter 24, after Jesus is raised from the dead, he's walking along the road with a couple of disciples who don't recognize him in his glorified body. And they're upset because they think that their Savior is dead once and for all. And he begins to question them. And he says, and then Luke tells us this, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that is the Old Testament, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. You see, the Old Testament is about Jesus. So we must never, ever discard it. Now, after Jesus um, calls Philip, Philip realizes who Jesus is because Philip knew the Old Testament. That was his Bible. He knew that Jesus was the king who had come to save God's people, the promised Messiah. So Philip is thrilled, and he can't wait to tell others that the Messiah has come, the Messiah king has arrived. So he runs and gets Nathaniel. You see, Jesus calls people to himself from those who are already his disciples. Would that we had the same excitement to tell Jesus, tell, tell people about Jesus that Philip had when he ran to Nathaniel with excitement. It's his encounter with Jesus, his being close to Jesus, that enables Philip to tell others about the Savior. Friends, Jesus speaks through his followers to reach other people. In fact, that is the primary way he works in the world today, is to speak through your voice and your witness. Nathaniel says to uh, Philip, and this is low, can anything good come from Nazareth? Uh, Like, ooh, this is a burn. This is below the belt, right? Because Nazareth was a small town. It was kind of a small, you could think of it as like a backwoods town, 200 to 400 people uh, living in probably small stone houses, archaeologists think. And uh, there's evidence that there was a lot of garbage there. It was just kind of a, a trashy place. And so Nathaniel says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because this is not exactly the living quarters of a royal king. He's saying, Nazareth, really? This this podunk town, uh, really God's bringing forth a king from there? You see, there's always initial resistance when Jesus calls someone. There's always initial resistance. There's always some amount of skepticism because the whole idea of the eternal creator of the cosmos who created the oceans and the lands of the world, making himself known in a humble carpenter from a little town called Nazareth is very difficult to believe. There's always initial skepticism when Jesus calls. 
Philip said to Nathanael, come and see. Come and see for yourself. No, he doesn't give him an elaborate, systematic theology about how God is revealed. He doesn't give him scientific or logical arguments. He says, come experience Jesus for yourself. That's all you need to do. You'll know. Friends, before I knew the Lord, I looked at all the evidence for and against. I spent hours reading historical arguments, reading philosophical arguments for the truth of Christianity, reading theology and science. But until I came to Jesus for myself, I didn't experience the truth. You can study oceanography uh, all your life, but until you dive in to the sea and experience its majesty, you're just collecting data. You're just staying sheltered from the real thing. Come and see. These are the most important words to share with people who don't yet know Jesus. Come and see. Invite them to come experience Jesus in his body, the church. Maybe invite them to read the stories of the Gospels with you. Maybe you just invite them into a brief time of prayer. We don't need PhDs in theology or Bible to invite people to experience Jesus. That's the job for all of us. That is our mission. You'd be surprised at how Jesus will show up when we take risks in offering that invitation. John tells us when Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, or as some translations say, there is no guile. See, Nathaniel says something insulting about Jesus. He questions, uh, he questions his, his credibility, and Jesus pays him a compliment. He encourages him. He says, Nathaniel, you know, what? you know what I like about you? There's no deceit in you. You've got a good heart. Paul tells us God's kindness leads us to repentance. Jesus' kindness attracts Nathaniel. It also demonstrates this. It also demonstrates Jesus' intimate knowledge of who Nathaniel is. He has intimate knowledge of who Nathaniel is. He knows everything about us before he even calls us, or before we even hear his call. He knows the good, he knows the bad, he knows the ugly, he knows all of it. Now, you might say, if you knew the things I've done, you'd know that God would never forgive me. God knows the things that we've done, and forgiving us of those things and giving us a new life is exactly what he sets out to do. In Jesus. I heard a quote recently the heart of the human problem, all of the mess that we see in the world, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. You see, the problems in the world start right here, and Jesus always addresses the human heart, the good therein and the evil therein. Now, Nathaniel, he asks him, where did you, excuse me, where did you get to know me? Uh, I, don't, I don't recall talking to you. You ever had someone come up to you um, and they greet you by name and you think, oh no, I don't know their name. This never happens to priests and pastors, never. You think, I don't remember them and I should, shouldn't I? It's not a pleasant feeling, right? Nathaniel's having some kind of experience like this, right? He must be. He must be thinking, were we at a party together and we talked and I had a little bit too much to drink that night and I just don't remember the conversation? Where do I know you from, right? He can't figure this out. Why does Jesus know his heart? He's flabbergasted. How could you know that? 
You see, it's hard for us to fathom a God who can know us so intimately, down to every detail. Jesus told people that God knew every single hair on their head. Nathaniel wrestles. He wrestles with Jesus a little bit. He pushes back. You see, God allows this to happen when he pursues us. He allows us to enter in to a dialogue with him. He can handle our what about questions. What about this? What about this if I start to follow you, Jesus? What about giving up this? What will it mean? What will my family think of me? What will my friends think of me? How will I be provided if I give this up for you? He can handle those questions. He can handle those questions. Jesus answers Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip even called you. Now he's really, now he's really flabbergasted. Jesus tells him what he was doing before Philip even came to get him, to bring him back over to Jesus. The language implies that they're some distance apart. Nathaniel's got to be thinking, How, what is going on? Does this guy have like hidden cameras or spies or something? Does he, have a, does he have a spy watching me? Now, here's the funny thing. Jesus is actually going easy on him. You see, Jesus could have said this. He could have quoted from the psalm that we just read together. He could have said, Nathaniel, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I gazed upon your limbs before they were fully formed. Every day of your life was written in my book before you let out your first cry as an infant. So Jesus is going easy on him. But Nathaniel is shocked. He replies like this. Rabbi, that is teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. It's the proper response to Jesus' call. You see, the wrestling can happen, the questioning, God can handle that, but the proper way that that conversation ends is in surrender, in a confession of who Jesus is. Paul tells us, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, all we can do is respond. God initiates. It's not primarily about us, but what about, but about what God is doing in the world by calling us to himself as part of his great redemption project. Paul said this to the Ephesians, You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Do you know, I don't mean to be morbid, but do you know what a dead person can do about their situation? Exactly. You see why Paul uses this imagery? Even though we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive by uniting us to him, son. God is the agent. God is the initiator in our salvation. When Jesus calls us, you see, he's, he's actually like raising us from the dead, right? He's raising us from this sinful slumber and calling us to himself to remake us into who we were intended to be. It's a, like a little preview of when he will actually raise us from the dead and give us glorified bodies. Jesus answers Nathaniel, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. You know what he's saying here? You ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. Do you know what Nathaniel probably saw? Can you imagine what Nathaniel saw as he began to follow Jesus around for the next several years? Demons cast out of people 
who are possessed, lepers healed of their diseases, blind men who receive their sight when Jesus gently lays his hands on them, a dead girl raised back to life. You see, at this point, Nathaniel had no idea what he was in for. He probably had low expectations. Friends, when Jesus calls us, he promises adventure. And he invites us to be a part of it. You see how from start to finish, this is really about God's work in Christ. And we can relieve ourselves of the burden of thinking that it depends on us. Praise God. Because God's mission will be successful with or without us. It will not fail, but grace is this. Grace is God saying, I want to walk close with you through life. And I want to use you as part of what I'm doing in the world. I want to use your voice and your hands and your feet to call people to myself. God finds us. God calls us. God gives us the opportunity to surrender to something that is so much greater than us. And God places us in the midst of his body, the church, because he doesn't want us going at this alone. So, in wrapping up, how do we get out of ourselves that me-centered prison and get into what God is doing in the world? Here are just a few practical suggestions. Number one is this, read and reflect on scriptures. This is another reason to be steeped in the scriptures because when you read the scriptures, you will be reminded, as we were in our class this morning, of how God is at work behind the scenes orchestrating his good purposes. You think about something like Psalm 139 that we read today, you could just reflect on that for a week straight and remember that God was very present before you even were fully knit together in your mother's womb as he's just as present in your life today. Number two is this, ask Jesus, actually go to Jesus and ask him to show you those greater things that he promises. Show me the greater things. You see, if you don't ask for and expect to see God do amazing things, you won't see them. If we don't expect it, we won't see it. The third is this. Make a practice of asking, God, what are you up to today in my world, in my neighborhood, when I'm at work in the workplace? What are you up to when I'm at the grocery store shopping? What are you up to and how can I be a part of it? Give me ears to hear. Who are you calling me to serve in Jesus' name? Number four, this one's simple. Come to church. Come to church. Be a part of the body of Christ because it's a reminder. There's no more, more powerful, visible reminder that we don't go at this alone, that the church is not primarily about I, but about we. See, the early followers of Jesus met together at least weekly to hear Scripture proclaimed, to share the Eucharist, and to worship God, and they expected miraculous things to happen in their midst. That's how they grew close as a community, and that's how their witness in the world was strengthened and made effective because they steeped themselves in the Lord's presence together as a community. Friends, Jesus invites us out of ourselves and into him, and he promises to not only show us great things, but to involve us in those great things. Do you believe that this nobody carpenter from Nazareth could do the unexpected and extraordinary in your life. 
Come and see. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we humbly stand before you in awe of your great mercy that while we were dead in our trespasses, you came and you woke us up by name and called us as followers of your Son. We ask that you would give us an excitement and a joy about being people who, like Philip, go out with that good news and invite others to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. As we come forward today to uh, celebrate the sacrifice that you gave for us, make yourself present to us, Lord, and speak to each of us a new word that would challenge and encourage us as we go from this place into the world with the name of Jesus on our lips. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.